everyone. We are back um, talking to Father Panagotis. Hi, Baba. Hi, Olympia. Hi. Uh, this is Stolen Homes, and we are on our seventh episode. So last episode, we left off talking about how um, Ba was um, at a university. You were at Notre Dame? Yes. Yes. And he decided to totally switch his life around and go into the priesthood where he went to Holy Cross and um, pursued his Master's of Divinity. And that's that's where we are. So, yeah. <laughs> so how, how was that experience going into that? And um, how did you feel totally changing your, your life at that point? Yeah, it was, it was really a major change in so many different ways because um, I was trained to be in the sciences. I was trained uh, to be an engineer. I spent uh, six years studying engineering, getting two degrees in that. In chemical engineering, and suddenly mm-hmm. I found myself in a, um, you know, the the, uh, the in in a place where uh, it was all about uh, philosophy and theology and yeah. uh, you know and things like that. Which I never wrote a paper until I wrote my thesis for my master's in chemical engineering, but that was not a. Um, uh, a paper in the same way as you write when you do a paper for a midterm in theology, for example. So mm. it was very difficult to switch from one to the other. It took me some time to adjust. Right. And, um, you know, and being in the in the liberal arts side of things, you know, it was <laughs> kind of difficult to adjust to the mentality, to the way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, but I, I finally, I finally did. But the major thing for me in uh, moving... Uh, from engineering to uh, theology, and especially being with um, mostly um, Greek Orthodox people, mm. um, it, it brought it brought back to my mind something that I was basically suppressing for many years, mm. and that was the experience of the invasion. Mm. Now I was among people who knew about it. Um, they would ask me questions about it. They will, uh, you know, it was I was reminded continually about what Hmm. happened in Cyprus in 1974. And, um, yeah, and I had to address it. (laughs) I had to address it. I remember one time uh, going to confession and uh, telling my spiritual father, Hmm. uh, basically tears coming down my eyes and talking to him about it Hmm. because there was a lot of pain in me and uh, I needed to release that pain. So that started happening. So it was a good thing for me in a... It was healthy for me now that I was addressing the issue that was hidden in my That was heart. bothering you, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was hidden. I was suppressing it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it. Yeah. I never listened to the news, so I won't hear anything about what was happening in Cyprus. Mm. I wouldn't uh, go to any of the demonstrations, you know, that people would do in Washington, D.C. or in New York at the United Nations yeah. or anything like that. I had no desire to be involved in anything that brought up the pain of the invasion. Right. Um, so do you think people so, knew about it because they were of Greek heritage for the most part? So that yeah. they knew about it because of that? Not necessarily because, like, America knew about it, but because of their background? Yes, okay. yes. Well, all the years, at, uh, primarily at uh, both City College as well as Notre Dame, I was among Americans who right. didn't even know where Cyprus was or, right. you know. What happened, definitely, they had no idea. I had to right. tell them. And then they, you know, people would look at you, you tell them what happened to your own country and to you and your family, and they put people look at you, you know, and like kind of, and that's the end of a conversation. 
Yeah, they don't know what to do with that They don't know what to do with that. They don't yeah. know what to say to you. They don't know whether they should comfort you, and you don't want any comfort anyway from them. But, <laughs> hmm. you know, they, they're at a loss, so the conversation changes. Yeah. Now, when you are among mostly Greek Orthodox people and, and you know, and mostly Greek people, I would say, right. Greek, even Greek-Americans, mm-hmm. uh, they knew about it, and it was brought up continually in the media, in, yeah. the, in the Greek-speaking media or in the Greek-American media. Uh, the Achepans have been working on that issue ever since it happened yeah. to this day. And, uh, and so every time, in Ache- the Ache- every time the invasion um, anniversary comes up, you know, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's mm-hmm. sending emails out. Everybody's So at that time, of course, there were no emails, but there were <laughs> printed publications that right. would have um, pictures that would show destroyed homes and the right. destroyed churches and destroyed hotels and the, you know, and the, and they would talk about the, the, the people that were killed and right. and there were pictures of the, the refugees in the in the camps, in the in the um, tent camps, you know. Mm. Living in tents. So you couldn't run away from so, it this time. Like so this time I couldn't get away from it. Yeah. yeah. So so I had to confront it and I remember my first reaction was uh, in confession talking to my spiritual father that I had at the Holy Cross. Mm. He was a very kind man, and and he knew everything that happened. He was, of course, older than me, so he remembered right. what happened. Yeah. And um, and I just poured my heart out and told him about it, and and, um, and he was very sympathetic, of course, and kind of comforting. That's good. But that was my first opening, uh, opening my heart up to begin to find um, uh, healing, basically, and, and yeah. to kind of let go of all the feelings and all the things that I had uh, accumulated over the years. So right. that was the first thing. The other thing that happened, and, and of course in that, I remember in that conversation when I raised the question, which has had been in my mind for years, mm-hmm. why did God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a theological question. Why did God allow this to happen? And I think that's the beginning of my search for answers hmm. in a deeper way, in a theological way. And, uh, and I remember him handing me a text from the Old Testament where hmm. he said um, uh, something like, um, your temples and your feasts and your uh, whatever, your celebrations are nothing to me. All I want is your heart. Hmm. Okay? Okay. And I said, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. So there we go. So perhaps our heart was not turned to God as it should have been, so our temples and our homes and our whatever land didn't matter because our hearts were not turned to God, and that's probably what happened. Uh, Okay, that's one answer. (laughs) It was not a full answer for me. It was not fully satisfying either. Right. Uh, But it was was the beginning of me finding answers, at least, that made more sense than what I had in my mind before. Okay. Before before it was more... um, hurt and, and anger perhaps and, uh, and just disappointment and things like that. Now it was like, okay, we must have done something wrong along the way and uh, and God did not protect us. Hmm. Okay? So it, like you had a perspective of almost like punishment from it at that point? Because that's not, what it sounds I like. I, did not, I never believed in punishment. I never believed that God punishes people in, the same, in that right. way, you know. But I think God removes his grace and allows things to happen that would not happen if his grace is protecting us. Huh. So when you are not close to God. Yeah. Things ha- might when, happen. Okay. When you are close to God, mm-hmm. God's grace protects you. When you remove yourself from 
the protection of God by moving away from him, mm. then of course things can happen and anything can happen and bad things will always happen. So so I think we lost, I think the first answer I received was that we lost the grace of God because we moved away from him somehow. And that mm. made sense to me Okay. because I remember that Cyprus became, I remember when I was a child and, and growing up as a child, uh, people were more pious, people mm. were more dedicated to God. As they ac- accumulated wealth and and accumulate and built better homes and and uh, you know and they accumulated more wealth, I think people became more arrogant. Mm. And I'm talking about in general, thinking about the country as a whole. And um, and I'm thinking that uh, the the events of the last two or three years before <clears throat> before the invasion were a division among people, mm. even in the church, a division in the church that was. That was the the biggest sign that we had moved away from God and were fighting over power. The leadership was fighting over power and mm. over and over um, who is more important. There were egos. Egos, yeah. yeah. So, so I think for the first time I I could see more clearly that um, we as a peoples we moved away from God in several ways became more materialistic, became more selfish, self-centered, um, egotistical, uh, and, and our leadership was more um, after power yeah. and, uh, and money mm. and uh, rather than, and I don't want to criticize anybody in particular, but I'm saying in general, the leadership of the people had moved away from God and yeah. the people began to move away from God as well. Right. So the protection and the grace and the cover of God's protection was withdrawn mm. by God because we rejected His grace by doing those things. Gotcha. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's a theological perspective that I began to acquire and understand. And um, and my journey or my, my inquiry into this uh, continued, and I didn't give up. I wanted to know more and I wanted to understand it better. Right. So um, so I said, okay, maybe there are other reasons why this happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it wasn't until probably two years later when I, this, I went to Holy Cross, uh, Greek Orthodox School of Theology in Boston in 1984. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, in August of 1984, and I started, I even took some summer classes uh, or August classes. It was a special um, session that they had and I took two classes at that time mm. just to kick off my my process of my education so that I can finish as soon as possible so <laughs> and, and it took me another three years to complete um, it was a four-year program I finished in three years because I wasn't required to take Greek and other things that were mm. but um, yeah but the second year in 86 um, after I finished my second year and I was going into my third year, which would have been my last year, yeah, um, I I went to Cyprus and um, and then from there I uh, asked my parents to help me out. You visited? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. You I went back and visited? I went in '85 and I went in '86 as well. In '85, oh, I, I didn't know that. In '85, I I took uh, Yaya, my mother, mm-hmm. your Yaya, and um, <laughs> and we went to the Holy Land together. Oh yeah. 
1985. I vaguely remember that. It was my first visit to the Holy Land. Yeah. We spent five days. Uh, we went with some tourist group and <laughs> and they took us to all the tourist things. But we managed to... Um, she must have loved that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she loved it. She's yeah. so cute. And we managed to actually get out of the group at some point and uh, take our own uh, trips and go to the Holy Sepulchre, spend time there. Um, so that which, must have been the first time you saw her in how many years? Uh, no, I had visited before. I had visited okay. in, um, I, three years after I came to New York. I went back when oh, Theo, you visited. Theodos yeah, yeah, yeah. was uh, here and he encouraged me to go and see oh, them. Okay. So that was very good. And that, uh, yeah, but uh, good. this in 85, I, I went mm-hmm. and I, I went to the Holy Land, which was a good experience for me again. It was going back to the roots, going yeah. back to the um, places where uh, the Lord Jesus Christ lived and right. where he uh, was crucified, where he rose from the dead, and visiting other sites too. And that's the first time I went to Masada, for example. Oh, man. Yeah. You went with Yaya to Masada? Yes. Oh, wow. That's an amazing Masada. place. Yeah, and it was really, um, yeah, amazing. And then um, um, we went to... Uh, anyway, so so that was only five days though, so it was I didn't wow. see it as much. Right, but, but it was still, my first. You saw a lot. Yeah, it was my mm-hmm. first visit, which was excellent. Mm-hmm. And you know, Cyprus is so close to. to I know <laughs> Israel is just a forty-minute flight. Flight less than forty minutes. <laughs> you go up and then you come back down. Yeah, by the time you get up, yeah, to thirty thousand feet, feet, you you begin <laughs> you to descend. Come right back down. Yeah. You don't even go to thirty thousand. I don't think it's, there isn't enough time. <laughs> anyway, so so we um, yeah. So we saw that, and that was a good experience for me. Yeah. Back to Cyprus again, of course. Um, they, my parents had settled in where they in the new home, and uh, you know, my sister was already uh, married, I think, at the time. Was this in Ayanapa? Yes, in Ayanapa, and um, yeah. But in '86, I went back. Okay. And that was my, well, that was going into my third year mm-hmm. and the last year Your at last year. Uh, at uh, Holy Cross mm-hmm. Greek Orthodox School of Theology in Boston, and so. Um, and I stayed for most of the summer. I, I went uh, at the end of, um, at the beginning of June when school finished and and we had no classes. And um, and I stayed until the end of August uh, before school started again. Okay. So I was, I was, um, I was in Cyprus for such a long time. So I, I would uh, travel actually and I would go to monasteries. And yeah. I went to the monasteries in Cyprus. I went to the women's monasteries to visit. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the um, men's monasteries as well. Okay. And um, and one of my friends that I met in Boston, um, Marius and uh, Maria, they hmm. lended me the, their car. Oh. Their car from their business. And uh, they you can have it as long as you want. In so, Cyprus? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I went and spent four That's days nice. at Stavrovuni Monastery. I went mm-hmm. four days at uh, another monastery up uh, on Trodos, uh, uh, Troditisa Monastery. I went to Giko Monastery. I went to some of the women. <laughs> Cyprus is filled and with And I stayed. And I stayed for, you know, like four or five days right. at the time. And because I had plenty of time, I had nothing to do. I was just uh, there. And I was I was um, searching. I was searching right. to understand more, to, to understand how monasteries function I wanted to know how the services go I wanted mm. to know it was for me it was really a, a learning experience an enriching experience an enriching experience yeah and um, and and the thing that amazed me is that all the monasteries were full of young men 
huh. and young women. The women's the monasteries women's were, monastery. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which and all of these monasteries were empty before the invasion. Oh, interesting. They would have two old men, two old women. Everything was dying before the invasion. Hmm. And now, after the invasion, all the monasteries were full. Oh, wow. And I'm not talking about 10 monks or three mon- or 20 monks, 40 monks. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, Stavrovuni had to build an entire wing of rooms to accommodate the new monks that were coming in. Oh, wow. Okay. That's good. And so did the other monasteries. They're all expanding their space so that they can accommodate the young uh, men that were coming into monasteries. How old are these monasteries, out of curiosity? Uh, Stavrovuni has been there since the 4th century. Oh, my God. Um, That's very old. Throw this uh, maybe a thousand years. So in the beginning of Christianity, um, like they've been yeah, there yeah, from yeah. the start. And so it was Seneoftos uh, uh, a thousand years. That's um, amazing. And some of the others. I mean, we're talking about the long history of monasticism in Cyprus that yeah. uh, was very strong for many centuries. Yeah. But at the time, in the 60s and 70s, when we were becoming very secular and very um, uh, materialistic, okay, right before the invasion... The monasteries were empty. Hmm. Okay? So there was no monasticism anymore. It was like some old men dying out and uh, all the monasteries were closing up, basically. Or they were in disrepair because nobody was there to fix them. They were neglected, yeah. Neglected, yeah. So so we have this... uh, I see this experience and and I see... There were some of my classmates who were... Oh, my gosh. uh, I found them at uh, Stavrovuni, two of them. Oh, my gosh. They were a little younger than me, maybe a couple of years younger than me, but... But they were monks at Stavrovuni. And, uh, and then I found another one. Classmates from Cyprus, like before you had from, gone to uh, university? From the English school. Yes, from the, yeah, English, from school, the yeah. English school, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then I found one at uh, Troditisa. And, uh, and then one of my other classmates who went to England and became a chemist, came back, and he was becoming a priest at the time. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> so That's awesome. This was awesome, but it was also uh, challenging my thoughts. You know, mm. why is this happening? What's going on here? And then um, sometime in July, I didn't have much more to do. I traveled all over Cyprus, went to every monastery available. Saw the island. <laughs> yeah. um, I sat down with my parents and I said to them, look, I think I need to go to Mount Athos and check it out. Wow. I also had on my mind the possibility maybe God was calling me to be a monk. Okay. I didn't know. But then I wanted to explore that too. Can you explain really quick for people who don't know what Mount Athos is? Obviously, every Orthodox person knows what it is, but there are a lot of people who listen yeah. who don't know. Can you just explain quickly? Yeah, Mount Athos is a peninsula in northern Greece, um, which is basically cut off from the rest of the world. And uh, it's um, it has about uh, 20 major monasteries and about another 100 um, communities spread out on the peninsula, which is very rocky and uh, yeah. very wild. It's um, it's very green because it has a lot of uh, it gets a lot of rain and it gets mm-hmm. snow on the top of the Mount Athos, the the peak of the of the mountain. Of the mountain, yeah. Yeah, which is at the edge of the peninsula. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but it's uh, it's basically um, cut off from the rest of the world and and it goes back a thousand years, more than a thousand years from the tenth century. Yeah. Um, it was established um, as a monastic. Um, uh, enclave basically uh, and at that time it was so far away from everything and nobody once you got on it would be very hard to come off and it was very hard for anyone to visit yeah. uh, today of course it's much easier but uh, but the only access is by boat because they have um, 
eliminated the land access. They mm. have blocked it off and, and gated it and, and barricaded it. Nobody can get through that unless it's an emergency, and then they open it up for the emergency. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so so I was surprised when I ended up at Mount Athos. At that time, it was easy to get on Mount Athos. All you needed to do is, is your to use your passport or your um, ID card, and uh, they would let you on. And they had no limits as to how many people get on the mountain uh-huh. because not very many people went. Yeah. Nowadays, They're much stricter. you have to, yes, mm-hmm. and... Now you have to make an appointment mm. months ahead, okay? Not only to get onto the mountain, to get on the boat, to get onto the mountain, uh, the peninsula, <laughs> yeah. but you also have to make an appointment for every night that you're going to stay with the monastery that you're going to stay in. Oh, man. Otherwise, they won't let you on because they have so many visitors. They have thousands of visitors. They have Russians. They have Bulgarians. They have Romanians. And they have uh, Orthodox people from around the world that visit. Right. So they have a limit to how many they accept. Do they accept. let non-Orthodox people on? Yeah. They do, but in a it's sense? even more difficult for oh, them to wow. be on. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think they will let more than um, 10 non-Orthodox a day or something like that. And they have to be accom- accompanied by Orthodox people and wow. things like that. Mm. So it's a, very, it's a monastic community. It's like going, walking into the home of somebody. But right. it's an entire peninsula. So. Right, with 20 homes. <laughs> yeah, with 20 huge, 20 monasteries, huge monasteries and over 100 other smaller communities. Oh, well, yeah. okay. I didn't realize that. So at that time, okay, in the, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. Mount Athos was also deteriorating hmm. because Greece had become very secular. Uh, the Orthodox world was becoming very secular. Mm-hmm. Russia was under communism. Um and um, and and uh, all of those monasteries were all in disrepair because there were any monks, uh, there were no young monks to work to and fix take them, care of them yeah. take care of them, and the, and and no funds, you mm. know, to repair things because you need money too. So when I went in '86, I was amazed that the monasteries were packed. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. and they were also building and expanding to accommodate more monks and the visitors, of course, that uh, were coming to visit. Although the visitors were not as many in those days as they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized that there was, there were like three or four monasteries that had groups of Cypriot monks. Oh, wow. Okay, like eight here, 10 there, 18 there. And then I found a group of like 40 Cypriots in Neaskit, New Skit in Neaskiti, which were um, all together under a, a Cypriot spiritual father, and they were all young. They were all in the twenties. Most of them were younger than me. I think um, the oldest of them was maybe, well, the the one who was leading them at the time was a year younger than me. So he experienced the invasion. So that was straight yeah, on. that was yeah. Father Athanasius who became oh, Bishop Athanasius of Limassol. Oh, I love him. Yeah, yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So, so that experience of finding all of these Cypriots, hundreds. I mean, about a hundred Cypriots on Mount Athos at the time. That's a lot of people. Um, I was very surprised. They were all monastics. They all gave. The, some of them had left businesses. They had left jobs. Uh, very. Um, good jobs that were making they were making a lot of money mm. working in Europe and whatever some of them from England some of them from Australia some of them from America mm. I had classmates from Holy Cross that were monks at uh, Simonopetra the, wow they left Holy Cross and went to yeah, mm. yeah. 
yeah, they're st uh, still there. Yeah. Some of them are still there. Yeah. Anyway, so that really impressed me. And, um, and he, uh, theologically, I began to uh, kind of uh, see patterns hmm. that I thought were very interesting. And the, the major conclusion I came to was that the invasion of Turkey, the invasion of Cyprus by Turkey, mm. was a, like an earthquake, an, an earthquake in the Orthodox world, especially mm. the Greek-speaking Orthodox world. Yeah. It shook them up. It shook all of us up. Mm. Okay? But it shook us up in a way that we had to reconsider the path of life, which was to the good life of having plenty of material things and partying and enjoying ourselves and whatever else. I, I remember I, I met a young man at one of the monasteries, the monastery of Dionysiu. I stayed four days there. And uh, he was a party boy in Athens as a student. Because in Athens, the University of Athens, you can stay as many years as you want, you know, to get your degree. So his father was very wealthy. He bought mm. him uh, a BMW in Athens, having a BMW. Yeah. And he was driving around and partying and having a great time. A and great suddenly, time. one day... Um, some monks from Mount Athos came and gave a presentation at the university he attended. Wow. And that turned him around completely. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, but I think that others also, you know, they had um, reconsidered what their parents had done, seeking wealth and mm. material things. Mm. And they realized that you can have all the wealth and all the material things. A wave of Turks in their tanks can really destroy everything that you've worked on for, the, for all your life. Yeah. And that was the message that I got from that, hmm. which was um, there is no wealth on this earth that mm. can bring you happiness and security. Mm -hmm. You need to turn to God at some point. Yeah. Whether you have it or you don't have it, you need to turn to God. And mm. the greatest wealth of all is that relationship with God. Yeah. And that is why I was also becoming a priest. Mm. Without necessarily justifying it that way, I concluded with that in the sense yeah. of um, money has no value when when you're not close to God, and um, if you if you have the material things, you're gonna move away from God, right. because then you that those things become your God, those things become uh, the purpose of your life, and mm. that should not be the purpose of our lives. The kingdom of God should be the purpose of our lives, and we should be preparing ourselves for that right. by being. Um, by having a relationship with God that is close enough that he will open the doors to his kingdom to us. Mm. And that's really my final conclusion that I came up with with respect to um, the invasion. So okay. uh, the invasion, which was a, an evil thing, it was a negative and evil thing and a painful thing, mm -hmm. suddenly turned into something that was spiritually uplifting. Mm. Because if all these thousands of people were being saved in the process of uh, through the process of monasticism or becoming you know coming closer to God mm -hmm. um, therefore even an evil thing like that God can turn it around and make it good right. and that was my conclusion and, my, and the point that I had in my mind mm. that's a big thing yeah that was a big thing for me and uh, mm -hmm. even though I didn't think I should stay on Mount Athos and become a monk uh, because I felt the calling for me was to become a priest in the world and, and yeah. help people in mm. a different way. Uh, I took from that experience of Mount Athos, which at the time 
at that time had more than 2,000 monks. He went, he went from, in the 70s, he was declining and, and, and he was having basically uh, uh, a few hundred, maybe two or three hundred old monks in their 80s that were dying off. Yeah. Suddenly, right after the invasion, you have a, uh, an inflow of 2,000 young men in their 20s who changed the uh, entire landscape of Manathos. And, and there's life everywhere. There's beautiful singing. There are liturgies everywhere. I know. There are, Their there chanting are, is probably yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, the chanting was amazing. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it was like, I thought I was in heaven. I was yeah. there for three weeks. That's a long time. A long That's time. good, And I though. walked from place to place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't have much with me, just a little backpack. <laughs> and I walked from place to place, and um, I would spend four days in one place, four days in another place, and kind of mm-hmm. absorb it and walk through the mountains and mm-hmm. uh, and the, take the paths from one monastery to the other. And uh, and then just dedicate to uh, my life to, to prayer along mm-hmm. with the monks. And, you know, in those days, Maunathus had no hot water, I know. Had uh, hardly any electricity. Right. I mean, there was probably two or three monasteries that had uh, generators for electricity. Yeah. Uh, it was it was dark at night. It was all in candlelight. <laughs> uh, there was no hot water to take a shower. Happiest people in the world. Mm-hmm. It was showers. If you took a shower every three or four days or five days, you whatever, it was cold water. Uh, and um, yeah, but I did not mind it at all. It yeah. was really, um, I think after the first week was tough getting sure. into that but mm-hmm. after the first week I adjusted and the next two weeks were the most amazing spiritual experience for me that's awesome I, I encountered uh, elders who became saints later right. like uh, Father mm-hmm. Paisius yeah. I encountered another elder who showed me and, and taught me how to do the Jesus prayer hmm. uh, how to pray uh, Lord Jesus Christ Son of God have mercy on me a sinner and how to do it in a, in a systematic way to help me spiritually, mm. and I still use it. Um, well, yeah. I encountered um, um, uh, people like uh, Father Athanasius, who became later Bishop Athanasius in Cyprus. Um, I encountered uh, others who went on to become priests later, a young man who met uh, also Father Baisius, and, uh, and he was doing his, at the time, he was doing his... Um, uh, degree in medicine, mm. and he graduated from the University of Thessaloniki and became a, a pediatrician, okay. and returned to Cyprus, and then eventually he became a priest as well. So he's <laughs> wow. both a doctor and a priest. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So and and I, I my my network of people who had turned their lives to God right. just expanded tremendously wow. through that, and my understanding of why these evil things happen to us uh, that in the end. God can turn even the evil into good if mm-hmm. we turn ourselves to Him. Mm-hmm. That was a major theological right. breakthrough for me. Did you ever talk about that with Yayam Bapu? Oh yes, of course, many times. How did they feel about? Oh that? yeah, they were they were um, <laughs> ecstatic. They oh, agreed. Yeah, yeah. They agreed. They, <laughs> yeah, they understood. They, they understood. So it was special. very for them. It was uh, it was like a confirmation of what they already understood in a way because mm. they they were very uh, in tune with God's yeah. uh, grace and will. Uh, throughout their lives yeah so so then uh, the last year I came back uh, right after I finished my journey through uh, Mount Athos I came back to uh, the United States um, and uh, in fact I brought my mother back uh, with me to the United States and and oh, both my parents and, yeah. they, and they attended uh, the my wedding. brother's uh-huh. wedding yeah so <laughs> 
and uh, and it was at that time when I came back from Manathos that I met uh, your mother and 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 we began to talk about the uh, possibility of marriage. Right. By the end of the that last year, uh, we we were married. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I. You know, I left Holy Cross and went to Catholic University to do a PhD, to do a PhD at the time right. in early Christian studies and uh, early theology of the church, mm-hmm. the early church and the history of the church. Um, having now found my path in a way mm. in peace, the path to the priesthood was a peaceful one in the sense that I knew I was becoming a priest. Okay. I knew that I was dedicating my life to God. Um, I was comfortable with it. Uh, but I wanted more knowledge, and that's why I went to Catholic University. They were providing, they had a patristics program, which mm-hmm. nobody else had. They still have it, actually. And uh, and um, I, 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 we moved to Arlington, mm-hmm. and, and, and your mom got a job, and I went to school, and yes. we kind of went from there. But... Um, and you got your PhD in yeah, and I got Christian. my PhD in early Christian studies, and yeah. and you know, and I and I found in that I found the confirmations of all kinds of things, including the theological understandings of the development of Christianity in the first four, five, six hundred years, and and the proclamations of the church and and the arguments. I, I read all the texts on hmm. on the arguments in favor of one against the other, or in favor of the one against the other, whatever it was. I read all the patristic texts, <laughs> mostly in Greek, because that's the language in which they were, which was delightful for me. Um, <laughs> and it gave me a confidence to speak about theology right. uh, and to speak about the theology of the church and why Christianity is what it is and why mm. the Christians believe the things they believe mm. and uh, and how those things were crystallized and, and kind of settled through the centuries. Right. Based on the scriptures, of course, and the the, uh, the apostles' uh, teachings, uh, but how they were also expressed in language that was uh, perhaps new in some ways, but also based on the scriptures. And I was really that was for me the the years at Catholic University in that program was probably the greatest gift mm. as far as theology that I got because the depth at which we studied those things. Yeah. Uh, was amazing. You just soaked and, it in. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It was amazing. And did anybody, good professors and, you know, and, did and any, good discussions in class and things like that. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. And did anybody there know about the invasion? Or was that, you were more immersed in that at Holy Cross because of the Greek background? But did anybody understand it at all? Did that ever come up during yes. your PhD? Yes. I, I, yes, it, it did. It, it would come up, but I was more at peace with it knowing... Mm that even from that evil thing, something good has come, which one of the good things was that I was closer to God. Right. Okay. And along with me, all these other people that right. I had met. Thousands and thousands now, of people. Yeah, yeah. Who were closer to God. Right. And they were dedicated to God. Mm. And the reason is because they understood through the invasion that the material world is not going to give you the satisfaction that God will give you if you turn to Him directly. Right. And, uh, and that became my... Uh, one of my models, you know, in the sense of when I teach, when I when I would teach or when I will express some of those, you know, people will ask me, you know, about the invasion. And they, to this day, people ask me and I say, well, well yeah. it wasn't all bad. <laughs> there were good things that came out of it. And I've been saying I do that. remember you saying yeah. that, too, yeah. when I was little. 
I remember yeah. you saying that. Yeah. Not maybe to the extent, obviously, because I didn't, I couldn't conceptualize entirely yeah. what you were talking about. But I think I remember you talking about that yeah, too. Yeah. But I don't want to say that uh, it was uh, that that the invasion has left has not left pain in me. I still have pain from it. It's just that um, I direct my pain to the hands of God and yeah. I surrender to Him because I know that He allowed this for whatever reasons, um, and even though he allowed it, something good came out of it. Right. Okay. In some ways. Not in every way, but in some ways. Obviously. Yeah, yeah there's still Yeah, there's a lot of evil wrong. that happened, and people who suffered. Yeah. And, I mean, still to this and day. And people who died, and mm-hmm. thousands of people who died. So I'm I'm not diminishing the how bad that was. Mm. I am saying that even from that evil thing, some good things have come. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a consequence of that consequences from that have become something good right so to shift a little bit yeah so after that Ian you ended up getting your PhD and then uh, my older brother Sadi was born yes soon after or no he was born in the middle of all that (laughs) of you going and getting your PhD yes in the middle of that yeah it was uh, at the end of my uh, third year I believe yeah Um, so I had finished my comprehensive exams and I was kind of it was not as intense for me (laughs) <laughs> right, then in the beginning. And yeah. I was already ordained. And I already had a, a small little parish in Fredericksburg, Virginia at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah that so, well, Yeah, he was born in Virginia. Yeah, yeah, he was born in Virginia. He was born in Alexandria, Virginia. <laughs> we, we still lived in um, in um, in the north. We lived in Sp- Spring Hill or Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two. Yeah, um, so Springfield, Virginia. From there, um, eventually you moved. You made the decision somehow, which you can talk about. But you made the decision to take your whole family to Cyprus. Yeah. And then that's where I was born. But how was that decision made to go back to the place that you basically vowed to never go back to permanently? How was that yeah. decision made? How did you end up saying, okay, maybe we, I should take my family here? Well, there were a lot of things happened. Um, but a, ma- a major thing that happened is that... Um, See, I went back as a priest, okay, to visit uh, Cyprus again, and I brought your mom and yes, and, she met uh, everybody. <laughs> she met everybody, <clears throat> and um, the priest of Ayanaba, who was getting older, mm-hmm. he was eighty years old. He um, he wanted an assistant, an <laughs> assistant. That's what he wanted. So, <laughs> so the the Archbishop of Cyprus uh, sent him a young man, and uh, he says, "I don't want him." So. <laughs> send him back. Okay. Then he sent him a second young man and, and uh, Father Antonius. Mm. Uh, he kept him for a couple of weeks. He says, "I don't want him." So, <laughs> so funny. the Archbishop called him, called him to Lefkosia. The Archbishop Chrysostom was the first of Cyprus. Okay. He called him to Lefkosia and he says to him, "Father Antonius, I send you one priest you don't like. I send you a second one you don't want him. You're 80 years old. Right. So what are we gonna do? <laughs> don't you want a priest to?" Replace you. Right. So at that point, Father Antonius turns to the Archbishop and says, the only priest I want is Father Panayotis who is in America. <laughs> wow. That's funny. <laughs> um, and the Archbishop started laughing. He says, Father Panayotis is in America. He's going to want to come back to Cyprus. And, right. And, uh, and do what? <laughs> and do what? You know. <laughs> so Father Antonius says to the Archbishop, mm. why don't you call him? Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> so one day, 
I was not home. Your mom was at home by herself. Mm-hmm. So the phone rings. We're in Northern Virginia right now. <laughs> and the uh, phone rings. She picks it up. And she says, hello. And she says, may I, may I speak to Father Bonagiotis, please? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Catherine says, um, who is this, please? <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I am the Archbishop of Cyprus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and she says, uh, oh, oh, okay. Um, uh, he's not home. Can you give me your number? And um, I'll have him call you back mm-hmm. when he gets home. Right. And he says, okay. So he actually gave her the number. Okay. And they hung up. <laughs> so I was at the, at the church in uh, Falls Church at that moment doing something in the office. Mm-hmm. So I get a call. <laughs> in those days, we didn't have cell phones, so it was like she yeah. called the church, and the church uh, secretary says to me, uh, Father Presbyterian is on the phone. So I get on the phone, and I said, uh, yes, honey, what's going on? She says, you won't believe this. Somebody is pulling a prank on me, oh. on us. I said, what do you mean? He says, I got this phone call, and this man on the other side said he's the Archbishop of Cyprus, and he wants to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was a joke? That's funny. <laughs> oh, wow. So um, I said, well, well. So <laughs> let me come home and we'll, we'll check it out. So I went home. I saw the number. I realized that was a number in Cyprus. A Cypriot number, yeah. yeah. because he gave the full All number. All those numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So I said, well, let's call back and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, it took until the next day to do it because um, I was I wanted to make sure it was during the day. Yeah, the time difference. Yeah. So it was like early in the morning. We got up, got on the phone, called the number, and behold, the <laughs> one of the guards at the uh, archdiocese answered the phone, and mm. I said, I'm Father Panagiotis uh, from, from the United States. The archbishop called me yesterday and left me a message. May I, may I talk to him, please? And he got me on the phone. Okay, so he got the Archbishop on the phone, and and uh, and he invited me to come to Cyprus and go to Ayanaba and be the priest of Ayanaba. Oh my gosh! And that's how the whole thing started. <laughs> so okay. I said to him, "Look, um, I would love to, but right now I'm in the middle of my PhD. I need to finish whatever I'm doing. Right. And I have at least two years. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, maybe even more. Mm. So." Um, and he says, okay, okay. But um, when you're ready, mm. let me know and we'll take care of it. Okay. So <laughs> So after that two years when you finished, you called years, back? Yeah, yeah, two years later. Okay. We felt we needed to get out of that parish. There were all kinds of things happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't really want to take another parish. At that point in the United States, she her job, well, Strati was already born. She quit her job. Mm-hmm. So It was time for a change. We, yeah, we talked about it and we said, what if we go to Cyprus? <laughs> That's amazing. Mom agreed to that. And she says, will the Archbishop be still open up, open to this? And, mm. and I said, well, let's find out. Okay. So we wake up one morning and we call. Again? <laughs> again. We get him on the phone. And I said... Um, your uh, Eminence Magariota day is the term. Um, you called me two years ago and you asked me <laughs> to come. Is that uh, invitation still open? That's crazy. He says, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I said, when do you want me to come? He says, tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. I said, I cannot come tomorrow. <laughs> it was like March, I think. March or April. Yeah. I said, um, I cannot come tomorrow. But I, I will try to come by the end of the year. Because I need to wrap up my studies. Yeah. Um, we have a home here. We need to sell it or get rid of it or whatever. And um, <clears throat> he says, okay, okay. Just... Um, and, and then he... He, uh, I asked him what's the process, you know, to do this because I was attached to the Archdiocese of America, so right, I needed so to transfer you, to the Church exactly. of Cyprus. So mm. there's a process there. So he explained to me how to do that, and um, <laughs> he says, "Wait until I send the letter, and you know, and and when they get the letter at the Archdiocese, they will contact you and whatever." And and so <clears throat> um, we put the process in gear. Uh, it was right before Christmas when you ended up we ended in, Cyprus. Up in Cyprus. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was like two or three days before Christmas. Yeah, Jan Papu must have been like they were so delighted. ecstatic. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's good. Mm. So you guys, moved. what year was that? Was that 1983? 1983. Well, your mom was pregnant with you. So she was like three months away from uh, delivery. Yep. Uh, yeah, so you were born in, uh, yep. in March. So it was the end of yeah, yeah, yeah. It was December. Right there. Born in mm -hmm. March. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it was that was a difficult trip because of the pregnancy and well, she was so soon, yeah, she yeah. was so but, close uh, to having me. But we ended up there, and after that, the rest is history. And you had your um, your sister was there. My sister was there, and her kids, and yeah, um, my cousins. Yeah, and um, but your two other brothers stayed. My two other brothers were in New York. They stayed in New York. They never were returned. Yeah. Um, but they would come. We would see them more when we were in Cyprus than we see I them know, now. I know that's true. Because they would come and visit and travel come and for visit and stay for three weeks. Month, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we And now we really see them for a day or two, maybe. I know, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Well, that was interesting, too. I think actually we should stop here. <clears throat> okay. Because that's a really good stopping point. <laughs> um, and then next time, which will probably be towards the end of this month, towards the end of December, because we have, you're so busy now. So we have things we have to finish. But we'll continue. Uh, next episode, we'll talk about. The experience of being in Cyprus, raising Sadi and I, and then teaching us about the invasion and how you approached it, and then how the school approached it, um, okay. and just what we experienced in general all together yeah. with it, because we all went through it together. Um, so we will definitely continue. Thanks to everybody who's mm -hmm. listening, and we will thank keep you all. It up. Yeah. Thank you. Merry <laughs> Christmas to everybody. Yes, Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah, I Merry hope Christmas. you guys have a wonderful uh, holiday. And if you ever have any questions or need to reach out, my email is connected to everything. Um, so definitely reach out. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye-bye.